0: Hey y'all, so I'm really not sure how to start this podcast, so I will just dive into it. You can probably tell from the title that it's going to be heavy. This is a podcast about some thoughts on grief. Really, it's about a journey that I have had and I'm continuing to have through grief and I'll be up front. It's going to get heavy. So if that's not what you're in the mood for, maybe add this to your on-the-go playlist, or maybe just don't listen to this. I know this won't be for everyone, but I promise that unless there are extenuating circumstances, next week's podcast will be lighter. Um, And I realize that for the third podcast, this is pretty heavy, but. The reason I'm doing this podcast or this particular topic now is, well, I had a sudden death in my family in August, and I learned of another sudden death not in my family tonight. I am a fan of the show Ink Master. For those of you not familiar with it, it, I want to say, is filmed twice a year and it's tattoo artists from all over the country competing for the title of Ink Master and, you know, all of these perks and money and all that fun stuff. And the winner from two seasons ago, Scott Marshall, I recently learned of his death. He died yesterday as of the recording of this podcast. And... Maybe it's just because of my grief journey, but I just feel like I've been hearing about so many sudden deaths recently, and especially learning about this one today, I just really felt I needed to get this podcast out there now. It just felt so timely to me, and even the script, the outline for this podcast just came flowing out of me, and it it just felt like I really needed to get this out there. And again, if... This isn't what you're into. You don't have to listen to it. You can come back next week for a lighter podcast. But for those of you sticking with me, I appreciate it. And here we go. So as I just mentioned, <clears throat> there was a sudden death in my family this past summer in August. And it was my uncle, my aunt's husband, who died. Now, this podcast, again, is is about my grief, and about the journey it has taken me on. And the reason I'm talking about it is through this journey, I'm getting some things out that I would like to get out, but also hopefully in me talking about this, it can maybe help some people or help help people give language to what they are experiencing So just a a quick little background, what happened with my uncle is, unfortunately, um, him and his two sons were in the car, and they were T-boned by another driver, a young driver, in another car. I'm not sure about the circumstances about the other driver, I don't know if he was drunk or whatnot, but... My two cousins ended up being fine. Um, The younger one was completely okay. The older one had some broken ribs, but he's fine. And my uncle, unfortunately, with the impact, um, eventually did not make it. And that was a huge shock. He interestingly, was about the same age as Scott Marshall, the tattoo artist. My uncle was 42, Scott Marshall was 41. I think that's one of the reasons why it struck a chord with me. And the way I found out about my uncle's death was uh, my grandmother called me early in the morning, and the my ringtone woke me up. And Looking back, my grandmother told me in Spanish what happened, and the Spanish word for died is murio. Looking back on it, it just seems fitting that I would hear about the death in Spanish. Um, Although I, I make my living as a teacher of English and I find it easier to communicate personally in English. Spanish is the language of home for me. Um, It will always be cozy. It will always be the language of truth for me. It's what I grew up with. And it also seemed appropriate because the accent... The emphasis on the word is on the final syllable, "murió," And it just brought home the finality of it. Um, I was so in denial, but that word just made what happened so real to me, just unbearably real. Now, the journey since then has taken a very different shape than other grief processes have taken for me. I am a writer by trade. Um, I teach writing. I have a book of poems. I went to school for writing and for poetry. I mean, it, it's, what I, it's what I do. You know, I eat it, I, I breathe it, I sleep it. But this grief process was different. I barely wrote. I've been drawing a lot. I have been attracted to wordless art forms, and that has really been what has gotten me through this. Um, And since then, I've been drawing. Those of you who may follow me on Instagram see that I've been drawing almost every day for the past month, month and a half. And that really showed me that in grief, you just need to let it take whatever shape it needs, whatever shape it wants to take. And once I sort of got out of that denial fog, I was surprised that I took a wordless art form. But again, it seems apt. This was a sudden death. This was something that my family was not prepared for. I mean, it's it's something no one is prepared for, even when you can you know a family member is sick or you know a loved one is sick, when they do eventually go, you're still really not ready for it. Nothing prepares you for death. And in this fog, you know, it was really the first time that I have not been worried about what I'm producing and if it will sell and if it will get likes and all of this marketing shit. I wasn't worried about that. I was just expressing myself and putting myself out there for no other reason than I needed to do it. I don't know why. I can't put words to why I needed to do it. I just knew I did, and so I did it. Um, The day of the funeral, I, I later wrote a quick phone note that it was the day of a thousand funerals. I mean... I have seen, that day I saw people in my family cry that I have never seen cry. It's seeing different sides of other people. Something broke in me that day. I I still don't really know what it is. And I knew that lives would be different. I mean, obviously, with the first news of it, I knew lives would be different, right? I mean, that's a given, but the funeral put faces... To it, you know. Um, I should also mention that my uncle is survived by his wife, who is my aunt and his two kids. After I went through denial, I went straight to anger. I am I am a Christian, and I do feel like my faith is a very strong part of my life. But when I was going through the first week or two of the grief process, and even, you know, it even flashes every now and then now, I was so pissed off and pissed off at God. I raged. My family, unfortunately, is marked by absent fathers, not by death, however, by choice. Everyone in my family who has been married has been divorced. I myself grew up without a father. And so to see my aunt and her husband and her kids, you know, they were really a novelty in my family. They were you know, a family unit that was functional and sticking together and loving. And while my husband and I certainly are a functional family unit, we don't have kids. So when I mean family unit, I, I I mean including children, just for the sake of this context. And I was so pissed off that my aunt had to be a widow now and the kids had to grow up without a father, not because the father chose to leave, but because of a senseless accident, it made no sense and still makes no sense. And for weeks, the prayers that I said to God almost always started with, how dare you? Because that's how I felt. I mean, how dare God? They were doing everything right. You know, they loved each other. And how dare God? let this chain of fatherlessness keep going I went through everything from thinking that my family was cursed and that we just weren't allowed to have whole functional family units to being afraid to have children because I felt that as soon as we you know for example my husband and I were to have children we would be a family unit and then someone was going to die And saying that now, I know it doesn't make sense, but again, in that haze of denial, mixed with anger, mixed with depression, mixed with emotions I can't even name, all these things made sense at one point. And in my reading, actually very recently, I came across a passage from the book Pastrix by Nadia Boltz-Weber. Nadia Boltz-Weber is, if I were to be a pastor, she's who I'd want to be like. She is a tattooed badass female preacher who doesn't give a shit about what other people think. She gives a shit about God and she does her best to live up to the standard she feels he has for her and does the best for her family and that's that you know she is who she is and i i really admire that and sh- her book Pastrix is about her her journey through becoming a pastor and dealing with her past and and different things like that and in the middle of the book she talks about being a hospital chaplain Um, On her way to being a pastor, she had to do a sort of internship, and that included being a hospital chaplain. She talks about seeing death and having to comfort the grieving families, and she talks about a sudden death, much like the one that my family experienced this past August, and so I'll just read a, about a page-and-a-half-long excerpt. So she says, I noticed that the family and friends of those who had unexpectedly died, in a grief so thick it sucked the oxygen out of the room, would gaze off and say, just this morning we were eating breakfast and talking about baseball or we were just walking the dog, laughing about the kids. Life-changing, the, the life-changing seems always bracketed by the mundane. The quotidian wrapped around the profound, like plain brown paper, concealing the emotional version of an improvised explosive device. Then, in a single, interminable moment, when we discover the bomb, Absolutely everything changes. But when we recall it from our now forever changed lives, when we start with the plain brown wrapping, it looks like every other package, every other morning, every other walk. The Tuesday of Holy Week, I was sitting in the windowless chaplain's office filling in my paperwork when the ER paged me. I had just remembered that my kids' Easter baskets would be empty on Sundays if I didn't remember to stop by Target in the next couple days. When I got to the ER, things felt different. Quiet. On the table was a 31-year-old DOA. She was killed when she stepped out of her car on the highway. Her 2-year-old and 5-year-old sons were in the minivan. They are unhurt. And we need you to stay with them until other family can arrive. I was instructed. They were unhurt. (laughs) Right. And then she goes on to say, on the next page, I was the chaplain, but I didn't have answers for anyone. I'd bring people water, make some calls for them, keep bugging the doctors to provide more information. But words of wisdom, I had none. I just felt the unfairness of it all. I felt the uncontrollable terror of loss, the finality of someone never having a father again. I felt a sadness that is both poetic and grotesque. I would stand by and witness the disfiguring emotional process we politely call grief. And yes, I was aware of God's presence, but I wanted to slap the hell out of him or her or it. After all, Maybe if God sensed that I wasn't a girl to fuck with, then my loved ones would be spared. What Nadia Boltzweber says there is pretty much exactly how I felt. My how-dare-you prayers, my cursing prayers, my withdrawal, it just felt like a rebellion in me. It felt like a hardening. It felt like, yeah, you know, if God, if the universe knows that they can't mess with me, then they'll leave my family alone. You know, then the rest of us will be safe. Then we won't have any more tragedy. And again, saying that now, I, I realize that that's not the case, but it's just another shape, another grotesque shape. Um, another uncontrollable shape that grief takes, um, or that grief rather took for me at that time. So how does the grief process look like now? Where am I in the journey? So I mentioned denial, I mentioned anger, and while I'm still in some ways rooted in anger in my grief process, where I am more is in the wrestling phase Usually, when there's a sudden death, people will say, hug your family tighter. They'll say, appreciate what you have. But the truth is, I was already doing that before the sudden death in my family, before I found out about the sudden death of this reality star, Scott Marshall. I already told my husband I loved him every day. I already hugged him with purpose every day. I Joked with my family. I joked with my friends. So it's left me with the question of: What if you do everything right, and bad shit still happens? What do you do when platitudes, when niceties are not enough? I have to say, I when what happened happened, I experienced an outpouring of love, as did the rest of my family. But with that come these platitudes, right? These sayings that seem nice, but don't really do anything. Like, God has a plan and it'll be okay and people are here for you. And that's not enough. So, how do I reconcile the occurrence with my faith? And the answer to that is I'm, I'm working on it. Um, it's still hard for me to believe that what happened is part of a grander plan. It, A lot of it is hard to swallow. One of the things I was so concerned about, or not concerned about, that's the wrong word, but rather obsessed with in early grief was, what is the lesson in this? You know, grief often, at least for me, it, made me focus more on myself like what am I supposed to take away from this if this is a trial if this is something I'm supposed to learn from like what the hell am I supposed to learn from it I already grew up without a father I've already experienced so many difficult things and something that a trusted friend said was maybe the lesson isn't for me and while I think there can be some truth to that Again, it's still hard to swallow. Well, then, is the lesson for my aunt, for the kids, like, what do they need to learn that they had, that their husband, their provider, the father needed to be taken away? It just seems so extreme. And then what about all the other people in my uncle's life, like me, like the rest of my family, like his coworkers, like his friends, are we just all collateral damage, And the more I followed this train of thought, the more I realized no one explanation fit. And just the fact that there is no explanation. Many things are true at once, I think, in this instance, and in many instances in our lives that are so hard to wrap our minds around. So all of this to say that there is no need ending, and I didn't Write this outline for this podcast. I didn't start recording this podcast with a neat outline in mind. It just really sucks when we don't get that neat ending. We as people love to put things in boxes and categorize things and compartmentalize, and there's shit that happens in life that refuses to be contained. And for me, The death of my uncle is one of those things. So, to have a, I guess, neater ending to this podcast, I'm going to read another quote from a different book, uh, from the poet Rainer Maria Rilke. In the book, Letters to a Young Poet, where he converses, as is obvious from the title, to a young poet. Um, and I, I just think it really goes along with what I'm saying here. So Rilke says, I would like to beg you, dear sir, as well as I can, to have patience with everything unresolved in your heart and to try to love the questions themselves as if they were locked rooms or books written in a very foreign tongue. Or, I'm sorry, in a very foreign language. Don't search for the answers, which could not be given to you now, because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps then, someday far in the future, you will gradually without even noticing it, live your way into the answer. I mean, I couldn't have said it better myself. I'm trying to live my questions. They are very difficult questions. Some of them aren't even language to me yet. And, you know, that's where I am. There, It's a messy ending for this podcast for this story, for this particular narrative in my life. And I also realize that it's not an ending, really. It's a journey. I don't think there will ever be a moment where myself or my family will be over this. And all I can hope for is that we live the questions so that someday, perhaps, we can live our way into... The answer, as Rilke said. Thank you guys for accompanying me on this journey of this podcast, for sticking with me. And, you know, if you have something to say, if something I said struck a chord with you, if you want to chat about anything I said, if you want to chat about any of the passages I referenced, Let me know. Shoot me an email at michelle.e.greco at gmail.com. Tweet me, Instagram. I would love to keep this conversation going. I know that I am not alone in grief. I am not alone in the journey. Um, And that's so comforting to me. And I hope if you are listening that you got something from my... (laughs) now 25 and a half minute rant uh, notes on grief. So again, thank you for accompanying me on this journey of this podcast. And I will talk to you guys next week with a much lighter topic. But again, thank you guys. And this is Michelle Greco signing off for Roaring Out.